Eric Reed feels the art shouldn't be viewed as contemporary, modern, traditional, old, or new. He also doesn't endorse cliques or camps, referring to how jazz musicians are often labeled as being from one school or another. Eric came of age in the 1980s during a resurgent interest in jazz. His great talent and the 80s jazz-friendly environment allowed Eric long stints with many jazz masters, Freddie Hubbard, Buster Williams, Joe Henderson, Benny Carter, and Wynton Marsalis. While he is appreciative of the opportunities available during this time, he is also aware and articulate about some of the disadvantages. A conversation with Eric Reed is like surfing the big waves, which made Santa Monica an appropriate place for us to meet for the following conversation. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm very impressed with your website because most people's websites are about selling themselves. And not to sound too romantic about this, but you seem to be selling love and it's fantastic. Love for sale. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, baby. It's. It's fantastic. It's really beautiful. And have you always had a website like that? Absolutely. So talk about that. Did you no. feel this was the time? Because it certainly is the time. It was certainly the time in my life. Mm, and, talk and, about and, that. And if, if the time in my life sort of uh, coincides or is a parallel with uh, current events mm. and, and, and this time in society, then so be it. But when I was a lot younger, when I was just coming onto the scene as a professional uh, I was no different than than anybody else my age and in my generation of the you know late eighties early nineties. It was the whole young lions thing, and jazz was uh, moderately popular. It was getting sort of a resurgence, and it was experiencing some kind of newfound interest. And as a young musician at that time, I was able to take advantage of those opportunities. And these were opportunities that were not available to young musicians in the early seventies or even, let's say, in the early 40s, again, because, you know, it's a completely different mm-hmm. climate, completely different mm-hmm. environment, completely different culture. But the the 90s seemed to bring about sort of a, a sense of, uh, there was kind of like this young vibe throughout the country. Uh, we were getting ready to have uh, Bill Clinton as, as, as president, and we had just come out of a rather oppressive regime of the Republicans, you know, we had this Bush and Reagan, you know, these, these, these old, the old white establishment, you know, I, was like, oh I wish this were TV so people could see the look on <laughs> they, your they face. Just anyway, imagine. yes, exactly. <laughs> imagine Grandpa Simpson. Uh, yeah, you, look, you, you did a very good impersonation of Grandpa Simpson. Okay, continue, continue. But so, so I, I, we were, we were entering into this, this kind of refreshed, almost like but what I used to read about and watch documentaries of the Kennedy years, what he represented when he uh, came into office, he represented youth, he represented change, he represented, you know, this, this, a, a different direction. And I was able to benefit from that. And I was working with Wynton Marsalis, who at that time was the most popular living name in jazz music. So he was on all the festivals and he had this big contract at, you know, Columbia, Sony, Columbia, with Columbia at the time. And so I was kind of like in, in this, in this uh, tailwind of opportunities to be able to, and, and we had a lot more jazz clubs. Sure. Oh you know, yeah. And, and, and then most of the beboppers were still alive. 
it was interesting um, as a young musician, my generation, and I was born in 1970, my generation was probably the last generation to come up under these older guys. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. We were ready for it. We were hungry. We absorbed it. We embraced it. But there was also a part of it that was somewhat abusive. In what way? There's the old phrase, tough love, and there's a method to his madness when you hear those kinds of things. And oftentimes, some of those older guys, not Hank Jones ever, of course, but some of those older guys would 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 speak to you in, in a rather demeaning way. And I heard a woman in her 70s, she was kind of lamenting about her children. And she said, oh, you know, these young folks today, you know, they get so emotional and, you know, they, they can't handle, you know, the, the anxiety. Well, well, part of the reason is because we've made different choices. The people in my parents' generation who were born like in the 1920s and 30s, they didn't have those kinds of choices. You didn't have the luxury of standing up to anybody white in the South and saying anything except yes or yes, ma'am. There was no no. Everything was just, you just did it. And they did develop a certain backbone, sure, a certain toughness, absolutely. But it seems as though almost as though they kind of penalize us for not having had to go through those trials. So when we say, I'm not doing that. It's so funny to hear people talk about millennials. When you, when you got a good job in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you, you went to work every day and you wanted to stay on that job for as long as you could. People didn't like their jobs. Nobody liked their jobs. It wasn't there for you to like. We had families to raise. Right. We got kids. We got car notes and house notes. And, and you want the American dream. Get a good job. Buy a house, car, two kids, and whatever it is. These millennials, they're like, eh, if I don't like this job, I'm going to quit. And the, the parents and the grandparents <laughs> look at them like, what? Are you out of your mind? And they call these millennials spoiled. And I think to a certain degree, that's a bit nuanced. No, it, it, I understand it's, it's, it's a what bit you're nuanced. saying. Yeah. It's like, this is one of the most amazing times to be alive mm-hmm. because you look at Airbnb and Uber and all these self-starting. You've got a lot more choices now to be self-starting. Mm-hmm. So, no, I hate this job. I hate my boss. I hate the building. I hate the work. And I'm going to be unhappy for 30 years so I can retire. No, these young folks said, absolutely not. We're not doing that. It's the 1960s concept mm-hmm. all over again, what they called the dropouts, which was just a horrible term to, to call these young people who were just like, no, we're, 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 okay, you call us dropouts, but we're dropping out of a society that's oppressive. Absolutely, we're dropping out. We're resisting. There's a whole generation. Well, you know, you can't just go around doing anything you want. No, you couldn't, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have different choices, and you should celebrate that with me and not call me emotionally weak. We're just, it's a different time. It took us a, a little longer to get to it. We didn't have YouTube. Right. We didn't have digital anything. We took the needle, we picked it up, and we put it on that little arcadum <laughs> lick as many times as it took. And then we stopped it, and then we kind of 
That was that was life for us. You know, they, they say, oh, these kids, you don't know our struggle. And it, it, it was a struggle, but we loved it. I know. We loved it because we wanted that music. on my guest, pianist Eric Reed, on Sweet Lorraine. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Coming back to your wonderful site and just talking about love, mm-hmm. I know that I, and I've talked about it a lot on this show, mm-hmm. of encouraging other musicians and also uh, this culture that you and I were fortunate to come up with yes. because I had it because I look so different. And so I would meet someone, mm-hmm. they'd say, oh, so-and-so told me about you. Mm-hmm, You're serious. Mm-hmm. That was right. the biggest compliment. Oh, yeah. Remember she, when she, we were she's coming serious. up? serious. That's right. No, she's serious. She's serious. Well, no, this, this, this dude, he can play. Trust me on that. He knows the stuff. That would be it. And that's, that the, was... that's the best compliment coming from Cedar, from Hank. Any you of can't them. beat that. You can't, you can't buy that. You're serious. And yeah. it's so funny to tell people this, yeah. but that was what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah I know about you. You're right. serious. Right. So they did help you in that way. Yes, that the absolutely. word would get out. They wouldn't pick up the phone and get you a gig, but right. it was a different thing. Right. So I think that's something to keep spreading the word on great absolutely. people. And also uh, tell people about other gigs, which I try to do. Sure. Now, I... You've lived both places like I have. Mm -hmm. I came up in L.A., so Mm -hmm. that was my initial coming out. Mm -hmm. And then I went to New York, which worked better for me. And now I'm coming back to L.A. more, mm-hmm. and I see things. What do you see in the difference in the scenes? Have they changed? Do you, when you were coming up, was it different? Because you left and right. came back. Right. So what do you get out of the two places in terms of inspiring you right. and good, bad, 
I have to, I have to process that. I'm still processing it because I've been back in Los Angeles about 10 years yeah. since I left New York. And I lived in New York for 20 years and came up in L.A. You mm-hmm. know, under Teddy Edwards and Clara Bryant and just you know all the cats. Um, one of the things that's so uh, striking for me is the volumes of young musicians yeah. in Los Angeles. That didn't exist in the 80s when I was living here. Okay, so I didn't think it did either. It and I didn't. was thinking I was imagining no, this. No, okay. it, it didn't. And I had to think about it for a second because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, uh, offend anyone. But I got around the Los Angeles scene quite a bit. And I never saw anybody my age. I saw folks of maybe a few years older. Mm. You know, Nedra Wheeler was just a few years older than me. Uh, but at that time, it was me, Willie Jones, Richard Grant. We were all teenagers in the 80s. And as far as the gigs that I was doing, I wasn't doing any studio work. I wasn't even headed that way. But the scene was primarily, you know, Catalina Bar and Grill when they yeah. were on Coanga, uh, Vine Street, uh, the, the Loa, Alphonse's, Chagney's, um, the Comeback Inn, uh, you know, the, the, the Dante's, this is where everybody, this was the circuit. Right. In, in, in the, you know, mid to late 80s, this is where everybody was playing. And this is where you saw all the cats. And I always saw John Clayton, Gerald Wiggins, Buddy Collette, Vi Red. You know, that's, that's who that's, I that's saw. We all saw. But I yeah. didn't see anybody else 17, 18, 19 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. L.A. was not that, you know, that, that breeding ground for young musicians at that time. Mm-hmm. So coming back here to Los Angeles in 2008, I'm like, who are, who are all these young people? Yeah. I mean, and they're playing. And I think that's probably why the scene was maybe the way it was with there not being a whole bunch of young musicians. Everybody went to New York. Mm. And at that time, going to New York, that was a plan. Yeah, definitely you know, in the 80s. Young and, musicians yeah, was... say to me, oh, Mr. Reed, you know, I just graduated from so and so. And, and uh, I said, okay, well, what's your plan? I'm going to move to New York. <laughs> I said, okay, what's your plan? And they look at me like I got three heads. Judy, I'm serious. And it's like, I know you've seen this. And I'm like, moving to New York is not a plan. That's, that's, that's an idea. Mm. That's a task. Mm. And then what are you going to do once you get to New York? You're going to have at least about two or three roommates. Yeah. And a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? I had an actor tell me, I loved it, I was talking about, because I sold a three-bedroom house mm-hmm. in Costa Mesa mm-hmm. to buy a condo, mm-hmm. which I was thrilled to have a studio. Sure. The fact, I mean, I was a musician who bought something. Can right. you imagine? I right. was like, everybody looked at me, wow, <laughs> Judy Carmichael owns something. And But I, I said to an actor friend of mine, I said, wow, you know, it's... It's really, I love New York, mm-hmm. but it's really, you really give up a lot of space. She mm-hmm. goes, what are you talking about? She goes, of course. I've worked my whole life to move to New York and lower my standard of living.
my guest, pianist Eric Reed, from his CD, Manhattan Melodies. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Talk about the new CD, because that was what I was heading to with you talking about your focus on it and love and bringing things together. And I really, I, th- I just thought it was a beautiful concept. Talk about that. Thank you. Uh, the idea of understanding and what it, what it, what it, Don Ray and, and, and Jean DePaul, right? You don't know the meaning. You don't know what love is until you know the meaning of the blues. Yeah. And I'm starting to find that to be true. My first experiences with genuine, unconditional love, fortunately, was from my parents. A lot of people don't have that. So that was my first experience with love and understanding what it was. But it didn't prepare me for the real world, where I'm not around people who I came up in a house with. That was a bit of a shock. It's a bit of a shock because I was kind of spoiled. I was the youngest of four. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and in I, a loving family. In a very loving family. What a concept. But almost like an only child because I'm like six years younger than my next oldest sibling. Yeah. For six years, it was just the three of them. Um, and then here comes, ta-da, you know. Little uh, baby. Yeah, yeah. So but, everybody but loves you. Everybody. Yeah. I was like a little prince. Yeah. Also kind of reminds me of the story of uh, Joseph. Mm. You know, and he had these older brothers and their fathers, their, their parents doted on Joseph, which was the mistake, right? You know, these stories in the Bible are really profound. Yeah. And Joseph, you know, he got a little spoiled and he said, whoa, you know, I just had a dream that you're going to be there. And the brothers were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, well, we got something for you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So... Coming into the real world for me was a bit of a shock. I mean, I grew up, like I said, my father was a pastor, and we were in church a lot. So it was a little bit of a sheltered environment, Mm. not completely, not totally restrictive, but kind of a sheltered environment. So embracing the jazz world at that time, we're talking about 89, 99, well, early. And and see, the, the L.A. Cats were loving. Gerald Wilson, Gerald Wiggins, the Clayton Brothers, Clore Bryant. These folks were just like, I'm, I was like their son or like their nephew, yeah. Teddy Edwards. These folks were really, really cool to me. Not one of them was ever mean. Got to New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, was kind of different. It was kind of different. And I just didn't understand it. I didn't get it. But I said, well, you know what? This is what I want to do. I'm passionate about this music. I want to play this music. And if I've got to, you know, suck it up, if I got to allow him to talk to me like that, which at that time I didn't realize that I didn't, that Mm. I actually could have said, don't address me that way, Mm. but I would never have dared to do it. I would just go home and be mad and write about it in my journal, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well, you were really young. I was really, and, and again, the generation of young people who did not push back. We were taught, don't disrespect your elders, don't talk back to adults, don't talk back to teachers. That's what my generation was taught. And by and large, that's primarily what we did. I loved New York the time I was there. And it, like I said, it wasn't all abusive. I mean, yeah, but, 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 it, no, but, but it's it was, an abusive it was place. A and I different, a different environment entirely. And the city itself is not the issue. It's just I think there's kind of a, it's kind of this uh, adopted 
attitude oh, yeah. about New York City, which didn't exist in the 1920s and 30s mm. when jazz was in Chicago mm-hmm. and Kansas City. Those were the hotbeds of jazz. Right. It moved to New York, you know, what, early 40s, you know, late 30s, right? So then New York adopted this whole, oh, yeah, we're intense and, you know, we're the city that never sleeps. And, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. That took a while for New York to to, to adopt that kind of reputation. Yeah. And I thought I was, again, you, uh, unless you're just delusional and think you have all the right answers. I'm always testing my memory or my thoughts mm-hmm. on these things. Mm-hmm. And I read recently that that 1981 was the, statistically the most dangerous year in New York. Wow. And that's right, like the epicenter when, when I was starting to Okay, come okay, <laughs> okay. But, it, but you know what? You didn't care. First of all, because oh, I didn't you, care. You, I was were, so happy to be too, there. You were too young <laughs> to even know that you should have been afraid. It's like, I'm going to New York. Oh, Nobody's yeah. going to stab me. I'm a pianist. I'm about to take this city right. by storm. And that's what I love about young people. Oh, yeah. They don't have these, these fears. They just go do it. Well, when you have that. to. Yeah, I you, think that that's something. I, I look at youth yeah. as the booster rocket. I totally agree. That's what sets you off in space. Yeah. And you have to have it because if you didn't have that attitude, nobody, nobody would do anything. Nobody and would do anything. we need young people to move things forward. Absolutely. We need them. They've got the energy. And to remind us back when we thought that and, way. So and, no. and you know what? So that's how I get to this album. That's how I get to the things on my website is I'm trying to... create a situation for myself and for young people that didn't exist for me. Mm. I wish that these same musicians that I learned so much from Mm. and I admired and respected had, had a different approach, you know, had come from a different place that I'm now trying to, create for young musicians. No, I I like that a lot. I think that I agree completely, and it's something that I try to do as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of them that I met didn't have the social skills to be able to do some of those things. Where were were they going to get them? Was society even giving them the room? And they were brought up in a different in a different environment. I, I know it. myself that I got to spend a lot of time hanging out with the Basie band mm-hmm. and to see the just the the indirect way that they learned to speak mm-hmm. by necessity. Mm-hmm. And I learned to interpret it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they couldn't be direct, the very thing you're talking about. Right. And so the fact that you're putting this out, and yes. talk about this CD, yes. some of the tracks on this, because... It's, I'm really excited about it because it's just coming out. Well, everybody gets the blues. And who doesn't? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Rich so, or poor, male, female, everybody gets the blues. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great title for Thank this. You. Thank and you. so you're the, talk about the title track. It's um, more of my compositions today are written almost with lyrical content that's not explicitly expressed. Oh, that's interesting. When yeah. I write my songs, I, I tend to write them, especially the ballads, I tend to write them as if there will be a lyric written later on. Whereas before, I used to write jazz songs. 
Oh, interesting. Jazz songs. They were jazz specific. They sounded like jazz or they were coming from, you know, Wayne Shorter or Bebop. You know, Bebop is a little bit more difficult to write lyrics to a mm. Bebop composition because it's just so many notes and the words, unless you're doing vocalese. Right. You know, it's not impossible, right. but just not. But it's know, tough. It's tough. So more of what I write is less jazz specific and it's simply just melodic. read on his composition, Everybody Gets the Blues. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis. Eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. Additional support is provided by jazzonthetube.com the largest annotated collection of classic jazz videos online from early jazz greats like Louis Armstrong to Thelonious Monk and other bebop masters. The collection also includes an extensive library of Afro-Cuban jazz. All are available with a free subscription at jazzonthetube.com. For a schedule of upcoming jazz-inspired programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. I'll be appearing at Feinstein's at Nico in San Francisco, May 31st and June 1st, Coamba in Santa Cruz, June 3rd, and Feinstein's at Botello's in Los Angeles, June 15th. The fabulous guitarist Larry Kuntz will be with me on all these dates. My guest today is pianist Eric Reed. We were talking earlier about jazz and the image of jazz, the misunderstanding of jazz. I heard, I was watching the show Episodes with the, the guy from Friends, Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc. Hilarious show. First I of all, love that British. show. Anything British, that show. anything British is funny. Anything <laughs> British is funny. But I stopped watching it because I got offended by a line in one of the episodes where the CEO, this was the girl that was sleeping with everybody. Mm-hmm, she was just mm-hmm. sleeping with everybody. And she got fired and she basically took to just, you know, smoking a lot of cannabis. Mm-hmm. That was just her thing. And then the the, the British actress, mm-hmm, the British lead, mm-hmm. she came over to her house. I guess she's probably going to give her money. So I'm like, she's like, you know, I haven't seen you in a thousand years. You haven't bathed. All you do is sit around and smoke dope. You're like a white Billie Holiday. Oh, I don't remember that line. Did she say that? That went right by me. Oh, wow. That, that, that blew my mind. Mm, and, and, no, and that's really sad. Well, it's interesting that you say that because it resonated with me. Of course it did. You but see what I'm saying? So, so that it went right by you. I, I don't, you know... I, I can imagine that happening. But, no, but I'm. But if me, I had, but if I had noticed that, I would have been very offended. It just so blew I'm me like, away. Yeah, and I was like, wow, a, a, a white, a, a white Billy Holiday. So basically, the idea, and when they're sitting around the table, the writers, yeah, no, it's coming bad. up with these jokes. It's bad on every level. Doing the scripts, nobody stopped and said, "Hey, um, what?" No, it's just wrong on every level. You know, all of the. White drug addicts in music that were famous for it. Mm. You had to say a white Billie Holiday. I, I, that that part you know, the just whole blew thing. me away. No, you know what I'm saying? Just, I know, and I I know that you were you were talking before about how jazz, and I've noticed this is so often the brunt of a, a lot joke. Of jokes, yeah, I mean, one of my my favorite shows on NPR is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very funny. Mm-hmm. I love the show, but there'll be a couple times that it'll just be nothing as offensive as that. But it'll just be <laughs> something about, oh, well, it was so bad, it's like being stuck listening to jazz. jazz <laughs> and oh, I'm just God. like, please, people, don't Let's do this. Let's not do that. Don't do it. Yeah. And it's and and speaking of Billie Holiday, I have to bring it up because you... That's my that's, oh, that's, I, I love me some Billy Holiday. Oh, me too. And I, I, well, I'll tell you something, just a little sidebar that'll mm-hmm. make you happy. I went to the second to the last of the Roger Waters concerts mm-hmm. of The Wall, you know, his big mm-hmm. tour on that. And it was in England. Mm-hmm. And I went because a friend of mine is related to him. And he said, you have to come to this thing. Oh, yeah. So I went because I, I don't like crowds. I didn't want to go to a rock concert, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. I thought yeah. this is going to be torture. And then I got hired to write about it. I thought, how am I going to write about this music? I have no idea. I don't even right. know what the wall is, you know. <laughs> but so I went and I thought, now that I had an assignment, I got excited about it. Okay. You know? The point is, is I was not in the, I thought, well, at least I'll be in the VIP mm-hmm. area. I'll get to do all that so I don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting in a better mood. Mm-hmm. But I walk in at Wembley Stadium in London, or, and they're playing Billie Holiday. Wow. 
Wow. And I thought, okay, I'm cool. Wow. Because Roger's a big Art Tatum fan. So we figured these are, they are, and these are the things. And I had found that out, but, but walking in and hearing Billie Holiday. And the reason I bring her up now Mm -hmm. is because one of the great things about this show Mm -hmm. is I asked people to give me a very short list of Mm -hmm. their favorite things. Mine was so short, sorry. No, well, no, but I loved it, but it's, it's fascinating to see what people choose. And people very often think of Billie Holiday with the really sad things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I like her up-tempo things Mm -hmm. because of the incredible swing, because of that little bit of a tug of the depth of her life. Absolutely. And with every note for me, she's singing, you're hearing there isn't happiness without sadness. Right. It's the and reason I, you know what happiness is. Exactly. And so talk about the track that you brought. I, I just loved it because it's one of those swinging it's, tracks of Billy. It's, it was that 1934, 35. I mean, that's like, that was such a, an amazing period for music because the, the, the bounce and the ebullience and the buoyancy of just the feeling and the swing was just so, intense and everybody was dancing at that point too so the music had to have that all of the all of those bands jimmy dorsey Benny, whomever the, these bands they dance they, they played for people dancing even paul whiteman's corny orchestra they played for people dancing right and if you didn't have that bounce you just you didn't work you weren't gonna work you couldn't you couldn't work forget about it so uh, billy my sister leslie my oldest sister she's mm-hmm. 11 years older than me she's the one that introduced me to billy holiday when I was, oh my gosh, about four or five years old. She loved Billie Holiday, and she always played Billie Holiday's music. And she, she, was, she was an interesting teenager. I, I could always look at her and tell that there was a little bit of sadness there. But she was a happy kid. She was smart as I don't know what, just sharp as a tack and just into life. But, you know, she got a little sidetracked a little bit later on. And I think some kind of way, Billie Holiday's ballads, you know, Good Morning Heartache and Mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that and Strange Fruit kind of resonated for where she was Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm, a teenager, where mm -hmm. it's like the average teenager was reading, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. You know, Judy Bloom. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's, she's over here listening to Billie Holiday. So, okay. All right. You know. Well, hey, baby, you were a four-year-old listening to Billie Holiday. So what are you talking about? That's my sister. That's my sister. For me, it was primarily because of Teddy Wilson. Oh, I know. And he was so different then. Oh, my God. Just, I just so elegant, but swinging. But swinging. There was nothing corny or cheesy about it. I mean, no. it was just this elegant swing. It was hard. It was polished. And then having the almost being juxtaposed with Billie Holiday, who had this narrow vocal range. Her elocution was a little iffy. Intonation even iffier, but there was something in there that when you heard it, I didn't care. And again, I believe growing up in gospel music, growing up in the church, that was probably what allowed me to have this appreciation for Billie Holiday. Sugar, I call my baby my sugar. I never maybe my sugar. That sugar baby of mine, he's special ration for me. He never asks for my money. All that I give him is honey, and that he can't spend any time. I'd make a million trips to his lips 
if I were a bee, because it's sweeter than chocolate candy to me. He's confectionary, sugar, I never cheat on my sugar, cause I'm too sweet on my sugar, that sugar baby of mine. Holiday on Sugar with Teddy Wilson on piano. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest, pianist Eric Reed, feels his early experience hearing Billie Holiday connected him to his love of gospel music. The Davis Sisters. Oh my gosh, they were from Philadelphia. Oh man, I was dancing around listening to your music. I've had a very good time with I'm your music. Glad. I'm oh, glad. it's amazing. Talk about them. It's just this track. Is the the Davis sisters. My father knew them in Philadelphia, oh. and, and they grew up in North Philadelphia. My father and my mother were living in North Philadelphia at the time, and of course, we also had Clara Ward and the mm-hmm. Ward Singers. Uh, they became immensely popular. And Philadelphia is a lot like Detroit, kind of a working class, middle class town, and. These were the people that were the salt of the city. They were the salt of the culture, and they made these cities, Cleveland and uh, and Chicago, they made these cities what they were. And the Davis sisters were all born 1920s, early 30s, and uh, Ruth Davis was the primary lead singer of the group, and they'd had other lead singers, but she was the the most well-known. And then Jackie Verdell. At, at that time, 1956 or seven. But they, you know, they were just a, a family of, of sisters that grew up in the fire baptized holiness church. And this is long before mega churches. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, there were 10,000, 15,000 yeah, people. Yeah. No, no, these were mostly storefront churches mm-hmm. that were started by one family, you know, and then the whole family went to that church and it was like maybe a hundred people, mm-hmm. you know, maybe again, these small storefronts, but, the 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 music that came out of these church experiences these people were also heavily influenced by the blues mm. and people don't really talk about that a whole lot with Mahalia Jackson her one of her biggest influences was Bessie Smith mm. but what happens at some you know at some point or another jazz and blues became the devil's music mm. and black people at that time in the attempt to kind of get a rise in society sort of shunned their traditions Mm. the things that really came from the heart because they wanted to assimilate Mm. into Mm -hmm. white culture Mm -hmm. which you could obviously only do on a social level because you know 
You look black. <laughs> There's only so much assimilation really? you can do. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Really? You're black. Yeah, well, you know, I surprised most people with that one. Me and uh, uh, what's what's my girl's name? Uh, the one that just died. Carol, uh, no, Carol, Carol Channing. Right. You know, so yeah, she could assimilate. Good for you, Carol. Good on you. But you know, uh, the the Davis sisters. My this my father. I grew up in the quartet music culture. Dixie Hummingbirds, The Mighty Clouds of Joy, Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirs. My father was a quartet singer. So he would always take me to his rehearsals on school weeknights, which drove my mother crazy, of course. Because I couldn't get up and go to school the next day. But like just to, to listen to this music unaccompanied, oh. maybe just with some guitar. But that was that was the first music I heard. And the piano player with the Davis sisters was a guy, well, the original pianist was a guy named Curtis Dublin. Mm. And Curtis Dublin could have easily had a career in jazz music had he chosen to play in more keys other than C and G. But, you know, he really had this this really blues-influenced kind of playing. That's kind of always what I gravitate towards. So, for instance, I'm not really big on orchestral music. Mm -hmm. I do like Prokofiev's uh, The Classical Symphony in D Major. I like that one. But for the most part, I like piano classical music. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not really into the orchestras. I'm not really into big band music. Mm -hmm. I gravitate towards the piano stuff. So if the piano track is really, really hot, you got me.
My guest, Eric Reed, on Road Life from his CD, Everybody Gets the Blues. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. The through line for me on all the music that you brought me was this swing mm-hmm. feel, mm-hmm. and it all made me a believer. <laughs> Got another one. Yeah. It did. It was just like every single thing. I was like, yeah, and yeah. I'm dancing and I'm, oh. Yeah. Judy, it's, yeah. it's not academic. And in as much as so many musicians and jazz musicians in particular want to try to garner validation and acceptance and appreciation among the masses or outside of the jazz world in the attempt, not necessarily to proselytize or convert, but in the attempt to create a wider appreciation. We always miss, and you know, I did a lot of those jazz for young people at Lincoln Center with Wynton Marsalis and we did the video making the music and we did a lot of masterclasses and workshops and, what is almost always missed or just kind of not even diminished, I'll say diminished, is it's not academic. That's not saying it's not intellectual. There is an intellectual process. You are thinking. There is a purpose. There are common denominators, common denominators, common denominators and themes. But it's not academic. It's the feeling of the music and feeling is an undercurrent through any great music. It's got to feel good. Beethoven's fifth. Dun, 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 dun. You can't, you can't just be kind of passive with that. that but, but, dun, 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 it's it's got to make people feel something. And I think once you get into over analysis and, and over explanation, it sort of loses the feeling. It sort of loses the magic. It sort of loses the mystique. The one thing about Billie Holiday that I do have to point out is that when she sang, everything was always against the time. The time might be going like, sugar, I call my baby my sugar. She's not singing one thing on the not one thing, Judy. Did you, you know? <laughs> no, I know and, and, exactly. And the beat's going just like, dun, 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 dun. she's like, okay, well, fine. The band's doing that. I ain't got to do that. Exactly. I call, and she's just floating. Mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong, John Coltrane, they had that same ability kind of, to float over the time. And there was no need for us to all, to all be doing quarter notes. Yeah. The band's got it. So, guess what? I can function a different kind of way. But wasn't that her life? Mm. Her life completely went against the rhythm. Mm. It completely went against the norm. So she sang her experience. Now, if you're a person whose life has followed along a certain path and it's kind of stayed in the lines, okay, fine. You can play that way. And it can still sound good as long as it's an experience. I want to hear a person's experience. Do we encourage these young people to just, it's like, you know what? You got to learn your scales. You got to learn a few of these solos. You got to learn these jazz songs. That's all fine. But when am I going to hear you? When are you going to open up your heart and let the world in?
My guest, pianist Eric Reed on New Morning. From his CD, Everyone Gets the Blues. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Eric feels this latest CD reflects where he is now in his life, not only musically, but emotionally and spiritually. The place where I am in my life now, where I understand better why I'm doing this, how I can do it, maybe who wants to hear it, who I can do it for, but more than anything, just the overall musical experience. Mm. Yeah, I'm a jazz musician. I don't mind calling myself a jazz musician. It used to have a different connotation years ago. Every year it changes. What is jazz? Who invented the word? Whatever. I'm I'm not even concerned about all of that. I just need to create. Mm. I need to create. And God has basically said to me, he said, dude, just do it. I gave it to you. I gave it to you. Now you're going to tell me how to outline it for you? (laughs) I've got that all worked out. You don't worry about that part. That's not your business. Just go do it. Just go do it. Reading the Bible, God is always telling somebody to go. He's Go. Go do this. Go. Go, 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 go. Go and possess the land. Go and tell. Go and take. Go and receive. He's always telling people to go. Go forth and prosper. Go forth and prosper. That's universal. That's not religion. That's the universe. Go get it. Nike stole that from God. Go for it. (laughs) You know, I I know this is going to be a shock, Eric. People have been stealing from God for a long time. He he had all the great lines. He really did. The best lines ever. The best lines. We're just repeating them. So, you know, just just go. And that's that's, that's kind of my, my, my thing about love now and the music that I play is I'm finally in a place, Judy. It's taken me a long time to just play music just 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 create it just write it just play it talk to young musicians guide i'm a mentor you know i coach but i don't teach mm. I, I don't feel it's proper mm-hmm. for me to call myself a teacher mm-hmm. you know these teachers the los angeles we just had a strike at lusd mm-hmm. that was just finally ended those are teachers mm. they're you know, they're they're teachers i guide <laughs> you know, I, 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 got I like that. Eric, thank you. I'm glad we could get together here in California. Thank you, Judy. Thanks for coming to California. You should uh, be hanging out here a lot more. I am. I'm going to be. I'm coming back to my California roots. Now that we know things are happening, now people are going to be mad at us for saying that they weren't (laughs) happening before. They were happening. It was just different. It was was very different. And you know, for me, you'll find this interesting because you were embraced with lots of friendly people here and not so much in New York Mm -hmm. in a way. I would come to clubs here in California and I wouldn't even get the chance to sit in because I they just assumed I was somebody's girlfriend. That's kind of the thing here, though, in L.A. Yeah. Normally, so, that's what it was. Exactly. It was like, oh, here comes the singer. Just, 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 exactly, just right. Yeah, we that's all know about that. That's kind of how it was, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I'd never, and I'd say, oh, no, I, I play stride piano yeah. or whatever. So I wouldn't get that. I mean, definitely John Clayton. I knew sure, him. Sure, of course. From the bass, and he was great. Yeah. So individual people and the older musicians okay. were great. okay. Because they'd gotten the word on, you yeah. know, take, but I never got to play. Why? One of the things I loved about New York mm-hmm. is I'd go into a club, 
And I'd say, well, I play stride piano. Yeah. Well, they might start laughing because right. they didn't believe it, but they'd say, prove it. Right, right, right. Oh, they wanted to hear it. So they gave yeah. you the chance, yes. even though they didn't figure that it was going to happen. Right, right. So I find those, these are very interesting to compare Absolutely. experiences with sure. things like this. Sure. But I'm a huge fan. Oh, I have you, been we, all those years ago <laughs> when we met. So I'm glad we got together and yes. we'll get together more often. Absolutely. We won't have so many years. By Thank you. Means. Thank you, Judy. I appreciate you. You've been listening to my conversation with Eric Reed. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineers are J.D. Allen and Curtis Heidoff. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD, Trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Stride Queen. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970 on the web at jazztimes.com. Jazz Inspired is also sponsored in part by Page at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Page at 63 Main at opentable.com. And special thanks to Henry and Gilda Block and to the Ken Colker Foundation. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com.